0: continuing our Get Real series this summer, and we're, we're looking at how do we have honest conversations with God, with the creator of the universe? How do we be real with Him? And uh, so we've seen a lot of different things of, of how we've been real with God. Again, we've brought our fears, we brought our doubts, we brought our questions to Him, and just had these honest conversations. Last week, we, we brought our praise to God. And this week, I want to look at a story of a guy who messed up big time right? He messed up big time. Uh, he didn't just sin a little, but he sinned a lot. And, and now we get to look at how did he get real with God after he messed up, after he had these huge regrets in his life? See, most of the Psalms that we've been looking at, most of the book of Psalms, was written by a guy named King David. He was the, the king of Israel. He was, uh, the Bible declared him as a man after God's own heart, right? And he was handpicked by God to be the king of God's chosen people. That's quite an honor. God thought quite highly of him. And David seemed to trust God in everything until one day he messed up royally, right? He just failed as miserably as you can possibly fail. So we're going to look. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can open them up to 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're going to look there briefly before we jump into uh, our psalm today. But in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we see the account Uh, of David and Bathsheba and this was man everything was going well the kingdom was in good hands David was following God and everything he did and then in chapter 11 everything changed so 2nd Samuel chapter 11 verse 1 says this in the spring at the time when kings go off to war David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah But David remained in Jerusalem, right? So this was a time where normally kings should be out in the battlefield. They should be protecting the kingdom and advancing the kingdom. But this time David said, you know what, everything's going pretty well. I'm looking around and and things are nice and it's convenient. You know what, I've got a captain in my army. His name is Joab. I trust the guy. I've got my mighty men. They're out fighting on the battlefield we're good. I don't need to go out this season. I'm just going to stay back. I'm going to kick back and and relax and take a season off. Then in verse 2, it says this, one evening David got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. So we see David, and uh, like I said, he, he messed up royally here. He was a man after God's own heart, but now here he is committing adultery. Man, that's one of the Ten Commandments right there. He, he failed at that. He dishonored God. He disobeyed God in this moment. But it didn't just happen all of a sudden. You see, the first thing that happened, David kind of had some apathy build up in his life. He was, you know, normally supposed to be out there, supposed to be doing things, but he decided, you know what, I'm going to just take it easy. I'm just going to let life take me where it will. And so he's out walking on the balcony one night, and he notices this woman bathing, right? And and so in that moment, he sees this and he's tempted. He's tempted. Now, it's not a sin to be tempted. You know, it, it was an accident. It just happened. But then the problem was David didn't just look away and go the other way and forget about it. No, David sat there and he thought about it a little bit. And that, that temptation, he started, it started to entice him, right? It started, he started to dream some things up in his heart, and then he said that he went and inquired about her, right? He sent some people, hey, go find out this. Who, who is this person? Uh, what's, what's going on? What's, what's her status? Where, where, where are we at here? And he finds out, oh, it's the wife of Uriah. The the Hittite, okay. Well, David knew that Uriah was out on the battlefield. So he thought, okay, Uriah's gone. Bathsheba's here all alone. I could do this thing and nobody would know, right? My advisors, they're going to be just fine. And, you know, he's probably rationalizing all these things. Nobody's going to find out. It's going to be good. And, And so he inquires about it. But then he physically sins. He commits adultery right? And it's terrible. So it starts out with apathy, and then he gets tempted, and then he inquires about it, right? In the, from his heart, and then all of a sudden, now he's physically sinning. Similar to what James says in, in James chapter 1, it says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So again, the same pattern there, right? First, we have that desire, or first, we're tempted, right? And again, it's not a sin to be tempted, but what happens is when we start dwelling on that sin, and we that dwelling on that temptation, and we say, man, I really want that, right? And that sin just starts to uh, conceive in our heart. Well, what starts in our heart eventually turns into the physical realm, and so we go out there and we do that sin, and it says once we sin, then eventually that leads to death. So let me tell you how this sin, right, this sin was sleeping with someone who's not your wife, but in fact someone else's wife. How, how did this sin play out in David's life? How did it lead toward death? So David here, you know, he's thinking, I got away with it. Uh, nobody's going to know your eyes off in the battle. Uh, nobody's going to tell anything. You know, I've silenced all those people. I, I should be good. But then a little while later, he gets a uh, gets a little call, you know, probably not on a phone, maybe by messenger, and he finds out that uh, Bathsheba is pregnant. Oops, can't cover that up, right? So he's got to figure out, all right, how do I do this? How do I, how do I cover this up? Because, uh, you know, Uriah is not home. What, how are we going to explain this thing? So he decides, you know what? I'm going to give a special vacation to Uriah. I'm going to bring him off the front lines. I'm going to bring him back and celebrate. I'm going to tell him, hey, go reunite with your wife. It's going to be a great time. We just love you so much. You're a great guy. And he thought, I could cover it up this way. So Uriah comes home, but he says, no, all my guys, our whole nation is out there fighting, and I would dishonor my nation if I'm not out there too. So that didn't work. So instead, David says, all right, plan A didn't work. I'm going to go to plan B. I'm going to cover this thing up. So he hands Uriah a note, and he says, hey, bring this to the commander of the army. Go bring this to Joab. Uh, He gets the note. Joab opens it up, and and literally, Uriah has been holding his own death warrant, right? He says, I'm going to just take out Uriah. So he tells Joab, I want you to go put Uriah in the front lines. I want you to go where the fighting's the fiercest, all right? Go where the fighting's the fiercest, and as soon as you get up there, I want everybody to pull back except Uriah. So Joab listened to this command of King David, and Uriah died on the battlefield. And so now David's thinking, okay, good. It looks like an accident. He died on the battlefield. He, he's a hero out there. And now, you know, his wife, this poor widow, this poor Bathsheba, I better take her in and marry her. And now this child seems legitimate. Right, so he's got this whole plan, man. He's rationalizing this thing. He's working it out. He's working cover-up after cover-up, and he thinks, finally, I've got all the details worked out. Nobody's going to know this great sin that I committed. And he was right for a little while, but God knew. And God sent a prophet named Nathan, and Nathan came in, and you'll see this in, in chapter 12. And Nathan came in, and he tells David this story. He says, hey, I got a story for you, David. Uh, let me tell you about this. There's two men. There was a rich man and a poor man, right? And the rich man, he had, he had lots of stuff. He had lots of sheep. He had lots of cattle. Uh, he had everything that he could possibly want, this rich man. He, he was set for life. Now, the poor man, all he had was one, one lamb. And he treated this lamb like it was his own child. I mean, this, this lamb was just his little precious gift. He hand-fed this thing. He, he treated them uh, just it was his own kid. So one day, the, the rich man had a guest that came into town, and he was looking to prepare him supper. And, you know, you'd think that he would take one of his own sheep or one of his own cattle and, and prepare that for supper, but no. Instead, he goes to the poor man's house, and he takes his one lamb and prepares that for supper and takes it away from him. And David hears this story, and he's just, I mean, he's outraged. How dare, how could this guy, right? He's got all these things, but yet he steals from, from the little guy. How, how dare, he he said, this man should be sentenced to death. He's worthy of death. And it is in that moment that Nathan revealed, King David, that man's you. And we're not talking about sheep here. We're talking about wives, right? We're, we're talking about you stole another man's wife, his only uh, wife, his, his prize, his, his love of his life. You stole Bathsheba. And so remember how sin leads to death, right? David's saying here, literally, he was worthy of of death. His sin found him out. He was guilty. Can you imagine in that moment, he thought he got away with it, but all of a sudden, man, his heart probably dropped all the way to his sandals. Like he was just guilty, guilty uh, face came all over him. Uh, He was worthy of death for his crimes and for the sins that he's committed. I mean, I can't imagine the regret and the shame when your sins catch up with you. And you know what? They always do. No matter how many times we try to cover it up, our, our sins and our lies, they eventually catch up to us. So maybe today, you're feeling that way today. Maybe you feel like your sins have caught up to you. Right? You're walking and you just feel guilty. You just feel shame. You feel regret. All of we all feel that way one time or another in our lives. So maybe today you're sitting there and you just feel this regret, you feel this shame. And so what I want to look at this morning is is how do we have a conversation with God? How do we have an honest conversation with God about our regrets, about our pains, about all the ways that we've messed up? Because David takes time here, and you can turn to Psalm chapter 51, and we literally see the story, or we see the conversation that David has with God after this moment, right? And, and it's amazing. So uh, while you're turning there, you know, we, we often try to do things the wrong way, right? We, we try to cover it up like David did. We try to hide it when we mess up, or we try to rationalize it, Right? Anybody ever tried to rationalize your sin before? You know it's wrong, but you try to prove to yourself like, no, this is fine. Nobody's going to find out. It's not going to hurt anybody. Or we try to make up for it. You know, so we like, oh, here's here's some money. Uh, you know, hopefully this will set you okay. You know, or let me just do a bunch of good things, God. And this is going to be really good if I just do good things. It's going to make up for that bad thing. And we try to we try to make up for it. Or maybe some of us we just try to ask for forgiveness over and over again, but we never stop doing. What we're doing, we just keep doing it over and over again. So how do, we, how do we apologize? How do we come to God and say, this is what I need to do? Well, I was in uh, Jimmy John's the other day, right? Anybody eat a Jimmy John's in here? And you'll notice when you walk into Jimmy John's that there's signs just like all over. Some are funny, some are weird, uh, some are just awkward, right? But I saw one sign that caught my attention. I thought, man, this has got some good advice on it. So I want to show you this sign. We took a picture of it. Uh, why don't we put that one up? Uh, three parts to a proper apology Number one What I did was wrong Number two I feel badly that I hurt you And number three How can I make it better Right We tell that to our kids all the time You know Not those exact words But something along those lines We, we tell that to our kids Of you know, They go up and they're like they, they wronged their little sister or something Right And you tell them Hey say sorry Sorry No say sorry and mean it I'm sorry, and I really mean it. No, no, like, what are you sorry for? I'm sorry that you're upset. No, that's not, what did you do, right? You're trying to teach them that. I mean, there's some adults who could really use this sign in their lives, right? You ever seen some, you know, that person who hit you in the parking lot and then just ran off and didn't leave you? They need that proper apology. that, That neighbor who sprayed the weed killer and accidentally hit your plants, like, just Just apologize, you know, just learn this thing. that We could all use uh, some skills in apologizing. Now, while Jimmy John's has some good advice on apologizing, uh, I'd much rather have some God advice on how to apologize, on how to deal with regret. Because uh, saying you're sorry and trying to make up for it, it helps, but I don't think that it solves everything. So again, Psalm 51, that's what we're going to look at. This is, uh, we, we see the su- superscript there. It says, for the director of music, a psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came in to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So we're going to see, this is, these are David's words that he's speaking of his sorrow and his regret to God. And I think we can learn some things from it. So verse 1 says this, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Now, I like what David did here. Like, I can totally relate. Maybe some of you can relate to it here. Before David ever admits to messing up or failing, he reminds God of his love and his mercy and his compassion, right? Right? Ever do that before? Where it's just like, I know I'm in the wrong. So that's kind of David here saying, all right, God, I know I may or may not have done bad things, but before I admit to it, let me just say how great and wonderful you are. Let me just, you know, suck up to you a little bit and just tell you, remind you, God, that, man, you've got such great mercy. Your mercy, I could tell people about your mercy all day of, of how, man, we were deserving of things, but God, you you are merciful. And, and oh, did I tell you, God, about your unfailing love? Yeah, it never fails. Still hasn't. Your love never changes. It never gives up. It never runs out of me, God. You know, and you just, and, and he keeps going, God, God, let me remind you of your great compassion. Man, you are just the most compassionate God I've ever met. You know, and he goes into all those things. Uh, before, he says, Oh. And by the way, I might have messed up, right? I might have sinned a little. But finally, David does admit it. He says, God, I sinned. I, I failed. I messed up. And he uses the words, I've got transgressions. I've got iniquity. I've got sin. Like, I've got them all. You, you, you list it. You name it. God, I did it. I am the worst sinner out there. And that's one of the most important things we can do is the first step that we need to take when we mess up, when we have regret in our lives, is we need to admit our sin. We need to admit your sin. That, that is so important. Because we can run around and try to deny it, try to pretend like it never happened, but we need to start by admitting your sin. Right? Our our tendency is just to pass the buck to say it wasn't me, it was their fault, the reason why I did this was because of this. And all these situations, it was just bad timing, it, it wasn't, you know, all these different excuses. But no, we need to say, God, I messed up. God, I, I sinned. The good news is that when we do that, David recognized it, is that God's love and His mercy and His compassion is greater than our sins and transgressions and iniquities. Right? Romans chapter five verse 20 says, "But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So we need to understand. You might be sitting there thinking, "I've done too much, I've gone too far, I've messed up, and I can never come back from this." No, God's love is greater. God's mercy is greater. So today, if you're feeling like the worst person in the world, no, God is greater than that. He can lift you up. He can bring you back out of, your, uh, out, of, out of that broken state. God can use you. His love is greater. Where sin is great, love is greater. You know, often in today's world, we think, well, if I tell the truth, then I'm going to receive punishment, right? If I tell the truth, that might mean I've got jail time to serve, or I've got a suspension, or I'm just going to experience the wrath of that person. And maybe if I just lie about it, then I won't have to experience those consequences. So we, we try to cover things up. But you know, the kingdom of heaven, it's upside down. It's a little backwards. Uh, or maybe we're upside down and the kingdom of heaven is the right way up, right? And, and it says that when we tell the truth, it sets people free, right? When we tell the truth, That God's love is greater, and he takes our punishment that we deserve. So even though we're deserving of that punishment, God takes the punishment because we admit it, because we go to him. But the only way to find that mercy, love, and compassion is by admitting our sins, iniquities, and transgressions. See, even Jimmy John's knew that, number one, we got to admit what we did was wrong, right? But what makes this different? See, David didn't just realize that what he did was wrong, but he realized that what he did was actually wrong sin. It was sin. It wasn't just a mistake. Verse 4, it goes into more detail. Uh, Verse 4 says this, God, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Right, so David realized that what he had done wasn't just wrong. But it was sin. He hadn't just wronged Bathsheba. He hadn't just wronged Uriah through murder. But he had literally wronged God. I mean, you look at the Ten Commandments, right? God gives us these Ten Commandments. He says, hey, don't do these things. You shall not, right? And and so you go through that list. David breaks number six. You shall not murder. Failed that test. Number seven. You shall not commit adultery. Failed that one too, right? Number nine. You shall not lie. Fail right number 10 you shall not covet your neighbor's wife fail like he hit four out of 10 probably some more in there right he, he probably served some other gods in that in that sense of he, he put you know relationship uh, ahead of god so all these commandments he is breaking left and right ultimately at the end of the day more than any person he sinned against god when we wrong another person they can they can make our lives miserable Right? They can take us to court. They can fight back. They can even take our own life. Those are some big consequences. But when we sin, when we disobey God, He can do more than just take our own life. He can change our eternity. Right? There's eternal consequences when we sin against God. When we, we sin, we not only need to admit it, but we need to recognize the consequences. We need to recognize the consequences. There are, there are eternal consequences when we sin. See, God made you perfect. He made you without a mistake. He's got a plan for you, and he wants what's best for you. That's why he gave us those 10 commandments. That's why he sent Jesus, right? So he could show us, this is how you live. This is how you do it. He sent us his Holy Spirit so he could guide us and show us. He can lead us into all truth, right? He, He gives us these helpers. He gives us these guides along the way. And he does this not so he can control your life, Not because he's he's just mean and controlling. He does these things. He gives us these commandments because he loves us. Because he loves us. That's why he does it. So we can have freedom. So we don't have to experience the hurt and the pain. Right? You tell your kids, hey, don't touch the stove. Don't touch the stove because it's hot. You, You tell them that not because you're mean and controlling and you just are always right. But you tell them that because you love them and you don't want them to get burnt. You don't want them to get hurt, right? So you tell them those things. Now, the stove, it's, it's not a bad thing. But when we use it improperly, it can be very dangerous. It can be very uh, bad, you know. But the stove, it can help us cook some delicious meals. The fire can help us uh, make some great things. But the fire can also burn us if we don't do it right. So we tell our kids, hey, don't touch that because I want to keep you safe. Because I want you to live the best life possible. And that's not going around with burnt fingers, right? And in the same way, God tells David, and he tells us, don't commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. That's, that's what he says. Jesus says, hey, don't even look at another person lustfully because then you're committing adultery in your heart, right? And he tells us these rules. Why? Not because he's mean, not because he's controlling, not because he doesn't want us to have, uh, you know, any fun in this life or something like that. No, he does it because he's loving and he realizes the consequences and the pain that is go- that is going to that we're going to go through when we sin, when we go off the course. That's why he puts these uh, commandments, that's why he puts these helpers in our path so we can go down the right way. You know, in the same way, you know, God created sex, and he made it uh, for a man and a woman in marriage, right? That's what he created it for, and and in that context, it's a great thing. But when we take it outside of that context, man, it's like playing with fire. You're going to find yourself burned. And that's what David found himself. He found himself burned because he went outside of God's laws. He went outside of God's commandment. See, at the end of the day, sin is disobeying God. And when we disobey God, it not only has consequences on our day to day lives, but it has consequences on our eternity. It's consequences on our eternity. Romans 6 tells us that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is, is hell, it's separation from God. Just like James chapter 1 told us that, man, the sin eventually, when it comes full grown, it leads to death. See, God is holy, and, and when we sin, we cannot come into his presence. But we become truly sorry and truly sorrowful when we recognize those consequences. When we recognize what's at stake. When we recognize the weight and, and the gravitas of the sin that's committed. So that's what we need to do. We need to recognize. We need to recognize the consequences. So David, he admitted he sinned. He recognized the consequences. God, I'm sinning against you, not just people here. I'm literally sitting against the creator of the universe. And then in verse 7, it says this, Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Right, David is, is saying, okay, God, I told you what I did wrong. I, I didn't just majorly wrong this family, but I literally wronged you, God. I'm dirty. I've got a lot of junk in my life, so God, bring out the big guns. Right, Put me through the premium wash, not the economy one. God, I, I need I need to be clean in my life. Clean me from the inside out. God, give everything. Clean me up. I've done wrong. So the third thing that David does here, And the third thing we need to do in dealing with the regret is ask for forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness. So important. We need to ask God for forgiveness. Now, it's interesting in here. Again, he's bringing out the big guns. He says, cleanse me with hyssop. All right? Why? Why why not like OxyClean, you know, or something like that? Cleanse me with hyssop. And so I, I did a little research on where hyssop was used in the Bible. And uh, there's a couple different times. One of the first times it's mentioned uh, is back when the Israelites, God's people, were slaves in the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh wouldn't let uh, God's people go. So God sent ten plagues on the land of Egypt. right? And each one was kind of worse than the next one. And finally, the last, the tenth plague was the death of the firstborn. Every firstborn child in Egypt was going to die. And that's what moved Pharaoh to finally let God's people go. But during that time, uh, God gave special instructions to his people, to the Israelites, so that they wouldn't be affected by this plague. They said, all right, instead of your firstborn child dying, I want you, uh, in the place of that child, I want you to go and, and take a lamb, sacrifice that lamb, and eat it for supper. All right, that's, that's going to be your supper tonight. And uh, we want you to take the blood, and I want you to take a hyssop branch, and basically use that as a paintbrush to spread the blood over the doorpost of your house. And that's how the angel's going to know to pass by your house or pass over. That's where we get the Passover from. Uh, and nothing's going to happen. So in that moment, that hyssop branch was a way to say, all right, it's going to protect us. He's going to save us. We're, we're, we're going to have the substitution of the lamb for our firstborn. Another place in the Bible that we see it in the Old Testament, we see it a couple times in Leviticus and then in Numbers. In Leviticus, uh, it talks about they would use the hyssop plant uh, as part of a uh, mix and a concoction to make this uh, purifying water, and uh, what they would need to do is if you had an infectious skin disease, man, how many thought we'd be talking about infectious skin diseases today? Doesn't that sound fun? If you had an infectious skin disease, this, this water that had hyssop in it was going to help purify you. It was also used if you had mold in your house, right? If you had mold in your house, you were supposed to use this stuff. The priests were supposed to come over and throw this hyssop water uh, on your house, Another thing over in Numbers, it said that if you came in contact with a dead body, that you were supposed to do the same thing, you're supposed to go to the priest and they were going to use this hyssop in in part of this purifying process. So what we see in the Old Testament is that hyssop was used to purify the most intense forms of uncleanliness, right? And so David is sitting there saying, God, cleanse me with hyssop. Like, pull out the big guns. Right, that thing that we use to help pass over and save all the firstborn, that thing that we use to help cure infectious skin diseases and mold growing in our houses and and dead bodies and all this stuff, God, purify me with that because, man, I'm feeling like a corpse today. God, purify me with that because I feel uh, infectious today. Like, purify me, God. So that's what he's saying here. Purify me with everything you've got. He asked him to wash him whiter than snow to blot out his sin, he's asking for forgiveness because he realizes that he can't get the stain out on his own. Uh, one of the exciting things uh, of Angie and I have experienced again as being parents of a newborn is, is dealing with blowout diapers, right? Just love it. Wouldn't trade it for anything, right? And, and so I'll spare you a lot of the fun details that I could tell you today, but you know, it, it comes out, the diaper and, you know, gets onto the clothes, you know, just anoints their whole body. And, uh, you know, maybe the, the crib or the car seat, whatever they're in. And it's just, what a mess. So you start, you clean up the baby, right? You, you take and you give them a bath, you do all that stuff. You got clean baby. But now, now I got to clean out all the stuff that that mess, that that blowout got all over, right? And so I have the pleasure of, of scrubbing things And uh, so, you know, you get in there, and and some materials are nice. You know, some materials, it comes right out. But then there's other materials. No amount of OxyClean can take those things out, right? I've literally spent time, like, half an hour trying to scrub those things out. And uh, i got to be honest, there's a couple times I just threw it in the garbage. It just wasn't worth it right? It just wasn't worth it because it was so I couldn't get it out. The more I scrubbed, it felt like the more it just spread throughout the clothing. And and I think that's what David's experiencing here. He's like, man, I feel guilty. I'm trying to clean myself up. I tried to cover it up, but man, I just made a bigger mess, God. God, clean me. Cleanse me. Make me whiter than snow. This is what I need. God, God, take out the big guns and just clean me up today. There was a stain in his life. He couldn't get out. See, when you're living in regret and you have sin in your life, there's no product that you can spray on. You you can't uh, get that stain out. You can't pay enough money. You can't do enough good things. You can't lie your way out. And also, in case if I lost you at the hyssop brand, like if you're on Amazon right now looking up, like, can I order some hyssop oil to to clean me up, right? Or uh, (laughs) don't do that, all right? Don't do that because it wasn't in the hyssop that that cleaned things up. You see, it, it was also mentioned in the New Testament which is kind of cool. I never realized this before, but in the New Testament in John, we see Jesus, our Savior, hanging on the cross. And it said in that moment, in a very similar way that the hyssop was used as a paintbrush, they, they grabbed a hyssop branch and they stuck a sponge on the end and they gave Jesus a drink on the cross. There's a sacrificial lamb back then and now Jesus is our sacrificial lamb today. See, Jesus is where our forgiveness comes from. See, because Jesus died on the cross, for our sins. And we, we can have new life. And, and he, can, he can take out any stain. I mean, he, he takes them all away. His love is greater. When sin increases, God's love increases all the more. Right? God's love is greater. Because Jesus died on the cross for us, we have the ability to receive forgiveness. And it's the most amazing gift that any of us could ever receive. See, salvation doesn't come from a plant. It comes from a Savior. It comes from Jesus, from the blood of the Lamb. And the only way to get clean is to ask for forgiveness. See, 1 John 1.9 says this, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, right? Only Jesus has the power to save. Only Jesus has the power to clean you up. He cleans us up. He takes away the stains, all those regrets that we've tried so hard to cover up, all those things we've tried so hard to forget, to make up for, to pay back. God forgives us. Because he sent his son to die for us, to take the punishment for our sins. See, David doesn't just ask forgiveness. He asks for a whole lot more in verse 10. It says this, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. See, with regret, we often ask this question. God, can it ever go back to normal? Like, can we just roll that back? Can we put the toothpaste back in the tube? God, can we, can we restore this thing to the way it was before I messed up? And that's what David's asking here. He's not just asking for forgiveness. He's asking for restoration. He's asking for rest. God, don't just forgive me. God, fix the problem. Deal with the issue, not just the symptoms. See, while most of the time sin expresses itself physically and and tangibly through words that we say or actions that we take, sin, like we saw in the verse earlier, starts in the heart. It starts when we start inquiring about things. It starts when we start dwelling on that temptation. That's where sin starts. So sin isn't so much a physical issue. That's just kind of the end result. Sin sin starts in the heart. So David's saying, fix my heart, right? And I think that's the prayer we need to pray is, God, fix my heart. God, fix the issue. Fix the root of the problem. Don't just clean me up on the outside. Clean me up on the inside. Because we can't just deal with surface issues. We need to get to the heart of the matter. I've seen so many people ask God for forgiveness. But they had no intent to change their actions. Right? Forgive me on Sunday, but I'm going to repeat this cycle the next week. And I'm just going to keep doing that same thing over and over and over again. But I'm just going to keep coming back for forgiveness. But David's saying, no, God, fix my heart so that I don't do it again. Fix the issue so I don't have to deal with this, so I don't have to come before you and ask you forgiveness for the same mistake again. I want to grow in you, God. Uh, a few years ago, I was cleaning up our, our bathroom and I and, uh, was cleaning up the sink and I went under the sink and, uh, you know, it's in that very back of the sink, that part where you just got a bunch of stuff shoved back and you don't see it very often. And, and I noticed something. There was this, this nasty green ooze coming from my pipes underneath the sink. It's gross. And I thought, man, I, I should really fix that. But I don't have time to do that right now, so I'm just going to clean it up, right? So I cleaned up the green ooze. I, I got that all nice. And I mean, the pipes look great after that. It looked perfect. Well, I forgot about the green ooze until a couple weeks later. when I'm cleaning it again, and there's the green ooze again, right? So I cleaned it up. Well, eventually, uh, I just made that part of the routine was clean up the green ooze, right? That's just what I did. And I thought, man, I get that nice and shiny, it lasts for a couple weeks, and we go again. Well, uh, a little while ago, the, the sink clogged, and it backed up, and we couldn't do anything about it, so it was like, okay, I needed to fix the sink. I didn't even, wasn't even thinking about the green ooze. And uh, pull it out, clean that thing out as well as I could, I run a snake down there, I do all that stuff, and, and the sink starts working again. And funny thing, the green ooze stopped oozing. Imagine that, Right? But how often in our lives do we just ask God, just clean up the green ooze. Don't worry about the sink. The sink's fine. Just, just make me look good on the outside. Just give me a quick fix uh, and uh, we'll, we'll get on our way. But, but the problem is inside our heart is still a, that green ooze factory, you know, who's just pumping out more and more sins. And we just try to clean it up and try to look good on the outside. But we need to fix the heart. We need God to fix our heart. We need him to clean us, as we sang earlier, from the inside out not just the outside. God, fix me from the inside out. And that's what David's crying out here. God, fix my heart. Restore me. Renew me. Don't just clean me up. Fix the problem. See, the last thing that David prays for in this conversation with God, we find starting in verse 13. Let me read that for you. Verse 13 says this. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. Worship team, would you come? You know, every Sunday uh, during Sunday school, our elementary kids are studying junior Bible quiz. And, uh, man, I, I love Junior Bible Quiz. It helps teach you about uh, the Bible. You're memorizing verses. You're memorizing theology, different things from Scripture. So it's, it's just some really powerful things in the Junior Bible Quiz class. And, and one of the questions that they learn and they ask is, what does repentance mean? What does it mean to repent? You know, so you think, okay, what does repentance mean? It means uh, I asked God to forgive me, and he forgave me. But, no, there's a much bigger Deeper meaning than, than just asking for forgiveness. Repentance, uh, the answer is having a change of mind, heart, and direction. Three things, having a change of mind, heart, and direction. To be truly repentant, we can't just do one of those things. We can't just have a change of mind or a change of heart or a change of We need all three. And for David here, we see he has a change of mind. Clearly he had a change of mind because for the longest time he thought, if I can just lie about this, if I can just cover up this sin, then I'll be okay. But there came to a point in his life where he changed his mind and said, you know what, God? No, I can't fix this. God, what I did was wrong. I can't justify it anymore. I can't rationalize it anymore. God, what I did is wrong. Will you forgive me? He had changed the mind. And we just saw in that last passage, he had a change of heart. God, don't just fix, don't just clean up the mess. God, fix my heart, fix the issue. Fix the big things. God, change my heart. Because if you don't change my heart, I'm going to keep doing these things. So God change me. Change me from the inside out. So he had a change of mind. He had a change of heart. And then in this passage, we see that David has a change of direction. And that should be our prayer as well when we're dealing with regret. God, change my direction. God, change my direction. I don't want to go in that same way anymore. God, I need to go in a new way. See, David, he starts listing all the things he's going to change. He says, God, I'm going to teach others so they stop making the same mistakes I do. All those things that I just messed up with, I'm going to coach other people so they don't make the same mistakes. I'm going to do that, God. Uh, God, I'm going to sing of your righteousness. Right, every day I'm going to get up. I'm just going to praise you, God. I'm going to sing of your righteousness, how great you are. God, I'm going to declare your praise throughout my whole kingdom, throughout every other nation that I have the ability. God, I'm going to declare your praise. My life is going to be different now. I'm going to do something different. Our problem is that we tend to just like doing this step and not the rest of them, right? That's called bargaining with God. God, if you save me, then I'm going to do this. God, if you save me, then I'm going to read my Bible every day. God, if you save me, then I'm going to tell my neighbor about you. God, God, if you save me, then I'm going to clean up my act. And, and we try to just have a change of direction without having a change of heart or a change of mind. But we need to do it in the right order. And that's why I like that it's listed last here. David had a change of mind. He had a change of heart. And he had a change of direction. You see in verse 16 and 17, uh, that God wasn't just looking for a change in direction. God was looking for a change of heart first. Right? He says that God doesn't delight in, delight in sacrifice. He doesn't delight in sacrifice. So God doesn't want us just to bargain with him and tell him, these are all the things I'm going to sacrifice for you. No. It says that God delights in a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Right? It starts in the heart. It starts with having that change of heart. God delights in humility. God delights in us being his disciple and being his followers. See, God's not looking for perfect people. If you came into this place today and you thought, man, I'm not very perfect. Pretty messed up, in fact. I just feel broken inside. I feel like I'm a wreck inside. If that's the way you feel today, then... You're in a good place. You're in a good spot. You're exactly where God wants you to be today. Because it doesn't say God delights in perfect people who do everything right. No, it says that God delights in those who have a broken spirit and a contrite heart, who are ready to receive from him, who are ready to listen, who are ready to change their mind, hearts, and direction. That's what God's looking for. See, the amazing thing is that even though David was worthy of death, self-admittedly, God forgave him. God gave him a second chance. God didn't take the kingdom from him. But God accepted that apology. God accepted that cry for help. In the same way, we're worthy of death. Like we said, the wages of sin is death. We're, we're all worthy of death. We're all worthy of spending eternity in hell because we sin, because we disobeyed God, the creator of the universe who just wanted us to live the right way. We just wanted to help us, but we disobeyed and we turned our backs on him. But when we come to Jesus and and we say, God, forgive me, right? We have forgiveness because again, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He took the punishment. He took the death on his own shoulders and says, you know what? I'm going to take your punishment. And all it takes is for you to come to me and ask for forgiveness and believe that I died and that I rose again. You'll be saved. It's amazing that we have that in Jesus, that we have that gift today. So the five things. We need to admit our sin. We need to recognize who we're sinning against. Recognize those consequences that it's an eternity, an eternal issue here. We need to ask for forgiveness. God, clean me. Make me new. Whiter than snow. God, don't just clean me up. God, fix my heart. Fix my heart. Fix the problem today. And Lord, change my direction. I never want to go back to that way again. I want to I do something new. God, I want to so today, I want to give you the opportunity to respond to Jesus. So with every head bowed and every eyes closed, I just want to, again, give you an opportunity, an opportunity to respond to Jesus. If, if you're just feeling sinful, you're, you're feeling like you've got a lot of regrets out there today, like there's no hope, like you've done too much, But today I want to give you that, that opportunity to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. So if that's you today and you say, you know what? I need to take that first step. I need to follow Jesus. I need to put my trust in a Savior. Would you just raise your hand? I want to I pray with you today. Is there anybody out there who says, I need a Savior today? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you in the balcony. Anybody else? You say, I need a Savior today. Thank you. Maybe today you, you've been saved. You know Jesus as your Savior, but you've just been, you know, kind of cleaning up the sin in your life, the green ooze in your life, but never fixing the problem. And today, you're just ready to say, God, fix my heart. God, fix my heart. God, I I know that I love you. I know that I serve you. But, man, there's just things in my life that that I just keep coming back to and cleaning up over and over and over again. And, God, I want to be done with this issue for once and for all. God, I want to give it to you. If that's you today, I want to pray with you. Would you just lift your hand up? I want to pray with you saved man there's some things thank you in your life that you just need god to fix your heart to fix that issue thank you thank you thank you hands, hands going up all over man we, we need god to fix the issue so i just want to pray a prayer with you today if you if you raised your hand again maybe you've prayed this never prayed this prayer before maybe you've prayed it a thousand times i encourage you just pray this with me and as you pray this from the heart i believe god is going to cleanse you He's going to make you whiter than snow. He's going to make uh, you a new person today. In Jesus' name. So let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. I recognize the consequences of my sin. That there's heaven and there's hell. I want to spend eternity with you, Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross. I believe that you died and rose again. Would you forgive my sins? Would you fix my heart? I want to follow you and not my own direction. I love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, man, I believe that, that God answered that prayer. Again, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will purify us from all unrighteousness, from all the sin in our lives. He made you new today, and that's worth celebrating. Well, would you stand with me? We're, we're going to close today with, with that song we sang earlier, From the Inside Out. God, purify me from the inside out. Fix my heart. And I'm going to invite the prayer team back down. Um, and, and they'd love to pray with you. If you raised your hand today and, and you said, you know what, I, I want to accept Jesus uh, for the first time in my life, the prayer team is going to be right down over here and they've got resources they want to give you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, if you need a little devotional, we want to give that to you. We want to pray with you. Um, so I encourage you during this time, come down. If you need to spend time at this altar, we, we want to we pray with you. We want, we want you to just seek after God. Maybe right now you're just taking that time to lay down those sins, to admit them, be honest with god so let's be honest with god over these next few moments together find a place at this altar and let's go after jesus together
1: times still your mercy remains should i stumble again still i'm calm. lasting your light will shine when a I- i
0: can have a second chance, and a third chance, and a fourth chance, that He forgives us and makes us new. Let's not waste this chance. Let's allow God to clean us from the inside out, to fix our heart, to change our mind, our heart, and direction, and go after Him. Because there's nothing like living for Jesus, and I can't wait for the day we get to spend eternity in heaven with Him, where there's no more sorrow, and there's no more pain. There's no more tears. But but we get to worship and we get to praise Jesus all of our days. Amen? Well, Jesus, we thank you. God, thank you for your forgiveness, for your mercy, for your great compassion, for your unfailing love. And, God, we know that even as sinful beings, God, even as we've made wrong choices, God, that you choose to forgive us when we come to you. So, God, purify us. Make us whiter than snow. And God, may we share that good news with all the people around us, with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with our families, that they would get to experience that same joy of your salvation. God, may we not keep it to ourselves, but God, would you help us every day to love you, and to love people, and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Have a great week, everybody. Have a blessed week. And again, these altars are open. If you need to spend more time with Jesus, To encourage you to do so.